The following Dharma talk was given by Ron Hogan Green. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order and co-director of the Zen Center of New York City. He delivered a talk over Zoom from his home in Pennsylvania to both residents and home practitioners. Thanks for listening. This is a Dharma talk. It's from the 300 uh, Koen Shobo Genzo. And its title is Do Not Betray Others. The main case. One day, Guishan, after sitting the whole day, gathered his feet in his hands and pointed to his straw sandals and said to Yangshan, all hours of the day, we receive people's support. We should not betray them. Yangshan said, long ago in Sudatta's garden, the Buddha expounded just this. Guishan said, that's not enough. Say more. Yangshan said, when it is cold, to wear socks for others is not prohibited. The commentary to this koan. All masters throughout time have always looked to guiding and aiding all living beings. They would set up their shops according to their capacities and in response to the imperative of time, place, position, and degree. Appearing and disappearing in harmony with the occasion, they created countless kinds of expedient means to alleviate suffering. Guishan, Guishan wanted everyone to know, so he stirred things up by saying, all hours of the day we, rec we receive people's support. We should not betray them. Yangshan was an adept and could not help but respond. Guishan's intention, however, was unfathomable. He wanted more. Without hesitation, Yangshan again rose to meet the old man's challenge. But say, what was Yangshan's meeting? We should understand that to wear socks for others is a very personal matter. It is the seamless Dharma activity that is the 10,000 hands and eyes of great compassion itself. It is the spiritual light of the four virtues of the Bodhisattva manifesting in the 10 directions. But tell me right now, how do you manifest it in your life? The capping verse. Pure jeweled eyes, virtuous arms, formless and selfless, they enter the fray. This, the great function works in all ways. These hands and eyes are the whole thing. So the 300 koan Shobogenzo is a collection of koans, many of you are familiar with them, that appears in Dogen Shobogenzo. And Kaz Tanahashi and uh, Daito Lori translated them. And Daito Roshi added a commentary and a capping verse and footnotes in each koan. From my perspective, this is Daito Lori's masterwork. It's a remarkable uh, book, large book, of these koans. 
And I selected this because I think it fits the ongo. I don't know if anyone else has spoken on it recently. But um, I remember the when I heard Daito Roshi um, give a, a teisho on this koan, I, I think it was around 2000. And I was sitting in the zendo and it kind of grabbed me, if not shocked me, the to wearing socks for others. What did, what did that actually mean? I knew the words, but what did that actually mean? So this koan has always resonated with me. There's an old Chinese curse, may you live in interesting times. And I think that fits our life. Uh, perhaps all times have this in common. But, but a lot is going on in the world. And much of it is terrifying. I live in Pennsylvania and, um, you know, the rates of infection are significant. And if you meet a bunch of people, someone's going to be infected. Yet here we are, alive, and with much of our basic needs taken care of, at least for most of us. In these interesting times, what can we rely on? Where is our power? In doing this together, we start with our vows. What are our vows? Helping each other in their suffering and in our suffering. Studying and working to see into our foolishness and falseness. Seeing into all of reality, just as it truly is. And the subtle implications of being. And practicing and living and attaining the way. And many other vows and practices that support these vows, that support us, that inspire us, that comfort us and that I hope we can rely on. How can we see our vows as a viable function of our living while keeping open to exploring where we are blind and not yet clear? The sum of all our vows in this path is to realize our bodhisattvic nature and to live out of this with each other. To do this with intent, with sometimes confusion, sometimes clarity, is not easy. So let's explore this bit. One day, Guishan, after sitting the whole day, gathered his feet in his hands and pointed to his straw sandals and said to Yangshan, all hours of the day we receive people's support. We should not betray them. What does it mean to betray? Betrayal is a load of bird. Usually we understand it to mean a violation of a person's trust or confidence of a moral standard. In this context, I think it can also mean betrayal because of our ignorance, the failure to pick up our head and truly be willing to see. And in not doing so, 
to create harm simply because we do not see. In any situation in this world of karma, as I noted before, we always have power. It's to change the patterns in our mind, maybe the power to change our talk, our speech, and certainly coming out of those things, the power of our actions. We may not, especially at first, have the power to change our feelings. In fact, often there's no direct correlation that seems to be present. And yet as we practice, our feelings feelings change. Perhaps they have less power or thinner or more cloud-like. Certain feelings don't arise anymore. But we're not in control of our feelings. Unlike our actions. Unlike what we say. And yet we may also be blind to the effects of our power, our actions or our lack of actions. And this too can be betrayal, simply because we're creating harm, even if we don't know it or see it. We should have a lot of respect for that. When we put on our robe, practitioner's robe, robe that visibly manifests our vows, when we bow, when we chant, when we sit, how can we, how do we betray? Do we sometimes forget what this is all about? Of course we do. Do we lose ourselves in ourselves and our wants and our ignorance about how we create a force field subtly or overtly over others? in our desires and our greed and our demand, sometimes so subtly invisible, yet present? Of course we do. Some of us, and I'm, this is a, an ongoing thing for me, I've been studying the Yogacara teachings on karma and causation, and it becomes clearer and clearer to me. It makes more and more sense that my karma both individual and personal, and also institutional. I can't separate the two. I, and I suspect you, are a product, an infinite number of forces and conditions. The result in my being here and you being here, as we are. It matters far beyond what I can imagine. It matters what I do and how I think, and what I say, and how I study. What underlies this creates the karma of not only my life, but all of our lives. It's interesting, the other day I came across a, a study, and I think it's been studied several times, several different ways, coming out of network theory. And the conclusion was that our behavior is contagious. It affects others. (laughs) When did they get the news? Um, This is a a particular study. It was kind of interesting. 
and forgive me if I don't explain it well, it's uh, a bit complicated, but simplifying it, the study found, studying a large number of people across different conditions, that if your friends are obese, as they define it, you will have a 40% chance of being obese. And if your friends' friends are obese, then you'll have a 20% chance of being obese. And if your friends' friends' friends are obese, then you have a 10% chance over, over normal, over a baseline of being obese. They also studied other, other conditions. And one of them was people who are rated, I don't know how they did it, as kind, who do kind things. And they likewise had many more friends and associates who were kind. Like attracts like, was their conclusion. Dogen quoted the Buddha in this regard, saying, when a person who practices giving goes to an assembly, people take notice. That's the Buddha talking, Mrs. Dogen. Know that the mind of such a person communicates subtly with others. This being so, he can give even a phrase or a verse of the truth. It will be a wholesome seed for this and other lifetimes. Give your valuables, even a penny or a blade of grass. It will be a wholesome root for this and other lifetimes. The truth can turn into valuables. Valuables can turn into the truth. This is all because the giver is willing. When I lived in Denver many years ago, I practiced at the Denver Zen Center, and um, I had the, the job of, we would get a lot of inquiries from uh, senior high school classes, which routinely in Denver in those days had uh, an option for religious studies. And uh, my dog is barking in the background. Perhaps you can hear that. Welcome to family life. Um, and so I would go to a school and there'd be a class and I would uh, give a talk on Buddhism, usually on the Four Noble Truths. So there might be 25 or 30 people, kids in the class. And um, pretty consistently, uh, there was a whole range of interest or disinterest. But there was always one or two or more people to whom were really listening, were affected by what they were hearing. And so from my perspective, the talk, I was talking to them. Now, there may have been others who weren't that participatory in their listening, but it may have affected them as well, perhaps way down the line. Who knows? Nobody knows. But I understood that I was talking to those one or two or three people who were riveted by the words of the Buddha, who, who were truly hearing it and relating to suffering and freedom from suffering as Dogen is saying in a slightly different way. 
So what's the difference between this giving and receiving and this effect of betrayal? Is it body language? Is it energy? I don't know. But when we tune into one another with all six senses, we can usually tell when someone has a generous heart or whether their giving is constrained by fear or greed or competitiveness or a sense of inadequacy or something else going on for them. And it's, it's not all or nothing. Obviously, there's a spectrum for all of us. And also, please understand that when Dogen speaks of giving, he's always speaking in non-dualistic terms. Giving is receiving. Receiving is giving. You can't separate them out. So please understand that in the language. And that is true in any interaction with any being. Given this, is betrayal possible in receiving as well as what we give? Of course it is. And this is what Guishan was pointing to. The practice of turning towards the Dharma, no matter what is before us. What is offered to us? Is it the heart? What could be a transformation in our lives that practice and realization offers us? The practice of turning towards the Dharma. How do you understand that? How do you understand that when everything within you is screaming, no, 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 and you want to flee? And that's what you know. I heard a couple of days ago uh, on TV, a nurse talked about, she was in, I think, North Dakota, where the infection rate is very, very high. And the ICU in which she works is filled with patients who are dying. And she speaks of a patient who is literally on her deathbed, but still conscious and denying that she has COVID. Absolutely denying there's no possibility of COVID because it's a hoax. And insisting she has cancer. And in her dying words, she's insisting this. What do we deny? Perhaps not so dramatically, but perhaps in subtle ways dramatically. Yet to see this, to see that turning towards the Sangha, both individually, turning towards the Dharma as individuals, turning towards the Buddha as individuals and as a Sangha, is to have it manifest as your your doing, your being, is not to betray others. So imagine, after a Zazenkai, we have them frequently, imagine Shugen Roshi grasping his robe and saying to you, all hours of the day receive people's support. We should not betray them. This is a koan, and there's an implied question here, or implied invitation to respond. How might you respond 
and showing you deeply understand the relationship between giving and receiving, between people's support and at not betraying others. There is a responding from a sense of understanding the words. There is responding from seeing deeply from a heart of being, understanding that this is the heart of, of all beings, even the beings we might identify as insentient. And so for this reason, Daito Roshi added a footnote, a comment to comment to Wishan's, we should not betray others. He says, this is pertinent. He wants the whole world to know about it. He wants you, in particular, to know about it. So Yangshan responded, long ago in Sudada's garden, the Buddha expounded just this. Sudada was a follower of the Buddha. He was wealthy, and he supported the Buddhist monastic community with food and donations. And in the garden of Sudana, the sutras say the Buddha taught the Four Noble Truths. Yangshan was realized he was an adept, and he later became a great teacher. What do you think of his response? Long ago in Sudada's garden, the Buddha expounded just this. We know what Guishan thinks, when he says, that's not enough, say more. And it's interesting because this is how our work with a teacher can go. And asking for more from the student, appropriate to the student's understanding and permission. And this can be very frustrating to the student. And again, I might want to say the three grandkids are outside the door screaming and yelling. So you may be partaking in extended family life. The good news is they're not crying. So this is how our work with a teacher can go. I, because I came uh, after practicing quite a while from a different sangha with a different teacher and having done a bunch of koans with that teacher, when I came to Zen Mount Monastery and started working with koans with Daito Roshi, he wouldn't accept any of the answers I had given my previous teacher to the koans, basically none of them. He wanted more. And then to make it worse, as you go through the koans, uh, you sometimes do come across the same koan in a different book of koans. And he wouldn't accept the second answer anymore. And when I asked him about that, he said, well, then that was your understanding. Your understanding can be more now. So he would demand more, say more. And this helps the student enormously, even though at the time they may be frustrated. It extends them and it shows the trust of the teacher and the student, the potential to go deeper within themselves and not be satisfied. So look how Guishan answers, asked the question. He held his feet in his hands. He pointed to his sandals. What do you see in this way of communicating? 
Can you see the difference between Guishan's implied question and Yakasan's response long ago in Sudato's garden? The Buddha expanded just this. In one sense, there's nothing wrong with that answer. Students all the time give answers to koans like this. The footnote that this says that's not enough. I'm sorry, the footnote says, what can he say? It simply cannot be explained. That's true. An explanation can't reach it. So where do you find yourself here? Yangshan responded then, when it is cold to wear socks for others is not prohibited. And the footnote says very intimate. But what does it mean? Indeed, what is the meaning to you of wearing socks for others? Understanding this is one thing. And that's what Guishan's first response offered. But arising from an understanding, we may miss the point. The point is permanent. Is pertinent, sorry. Guishan wants the whole world, you and I, to know about this. Daito Roshi in his commentary, it's a long commentary, a bit unusual, says, all masters throughout time have always looked to guiding and abiding all living beings. They would set up their shops according to their capacities and in response to the imperative of time, place, position, and degree, appearing and disappearing in harmony with the occasion. They created countless kinds of expedient means to alleviate suffering. Every master is different in their own way. Every master is the same in their own way. And that is true for each of us when we do our best not to betray beings. And because of the sameness and the difference, and because each of us is unique in our own place and time and personality and karma, it's because of this, Daito Hershey says, that this is in response to the imperative of time, place, position, and degree. What he's pointing at is a behavior that is in accord. He's really talking about behavior that's in accord with an enlightened perspective, the precepts in this case, which are not rules but respond to the imperative of time, place, position, and degree. How important as we fumble around in our life is it to do good, to not create evil, and to extend this to all beings? How will we do this when there is no one to tell us right from wrong? Where is our guiding light? Dadaroshi continues, Guishan wanted everyone to know, so he stirred things up by saying, all hours of the day, we receive people's support. We should not betray them. Yangshan was an adept and could not help but respond. Guishan's intention, however, 
wasn't fathomable. He wanted more. Without hesitation, Yang Shan again rose to meet the old man's challenge. But say, what was Yang Shan's meaning? We should understand that to wear socks for others is a very personal matter. Ultimately personal. It is you yourself. How you wear your socks. It excludes nothing. How do you put on your socks? How do you take them off? What action, what thought, what word is excluded from this? And so Daito Roshi says, is this personal matter, is the seamless Dharma activity that is the 10,000 hands and eyes of great compassion itself. It is the spiritual light of four virtues of the Bodhisattva manifesting in the 10 directions. But tell me, right now, how do you manifest it in your life? How do you manifest it in your sitting, in your walking, in your chanting? and taking off and putting on your socks. The verse. Pure jeweled eyes, virtuous arms, formless and selfless, they enter the fray. The great function works in all ways. These hands and eyes are the whole thing. And that's the point. Your hands and eyes are the whole thing. Your actions are the whole thing. Our social identity is not carved out in isolation. This verse is a description of the activity of the Bodhisattva of compassion, sometimes depicted with a thousand arms holding a hammer, a pot, a pencil and many hundreds of other tools ready according to the conditions and the time, place, and degree to respond. You too have a thousand hands and a thousand eyes. How will we respond? We think of the self as a thing, yet because it has no fixture to it, it changes and is flexibly flexibly adaptable. (laughs) I was reading an article um, in the scientific journal yesterday in which the author, who's a physicist, asked 10 great physicists to define what a particle is, what a thing is. Nobody could. Nobody knows that when it comes down to it, They can't find a thing. When did they get the news? So we think of the self as a thing, and yet because it has no fixture to it, it changes and is flexibly adaptable. That cuts both ways. It can endlessly accommodate our habits, our fantasies, our prejudice, our judgments, we can also change them, respond with skillful means, sometimes clumsy skillful means, 
doing our best. We can see into this dream of our self-centeredness and look to the open space of our original mind. We can't take for granted the depth of our delusion. No matter how clear we may be in other areas of our life, no matter how long we have practiced, the vow of the Bodhisattva is simple. There is more suffering. Within the intimacy of holding our feet, of blowing our nose, of wearing our socks, very simple, ordinary actions that we do every day, perhaps. We enlist a thousand eyes, a thousand arms. In the simplest of an action, our zazen, our meta meditation comes alive, becomes ourself. And of course, there is more, much, much more. This is the important thing. If we think about how this comes up in practice, how when our life begins to settle and some of the more urgent pain and suffering begins to soften, it's not unusual to begin to sit comfortably in a way that can easily become satisfied, become dull. So we continuously need to rekindle the flame, to touch back to our heart, to turn to the Sangha, to turn to our teachers, to turn to the teaching. And when we feel most alienated, most apart, most hurting, it's when it is the most important to do so. Something will change. It already has when you turn that way. Something will change. A, uh, a master recently said, in response to the question of what is good, they said, what doesn't create harm and what does help others today or over time is this sufficient? If it reaches far and wide, that's a good thing. Is that enough? Is that complete? I can't say. I've never seen the end to this. I've certainly never seen my reaching a point of this is enough. Thanks for listening. Did you know that Zen Mountain Monastery is live streaming all Dharma talks and daily Zazen during the coronavirus quarantine? Visit our website to learn about all the online programs being offered at this time. Just go to zmm.org and click on the link at the very top of the page, or scroll down and click on Retreats.